In December of 1988, the Amazon rainforest was deep in the rainy season. The ground was saturated and the many rivers of the Amazon basin were swollen with fresh water, funneling towards the Atlantic Ocean. And in western Brazil, on the far edge of the Amazon near the border with Bolivia, the sun was setting on a small rural town called Chaparri. Now, at that point in history, there was really no reason that anyone should have known about this remote corner of the world until December 22, 1988, when it became the center of international headlines, thanks to a man named Chico Mendez. This is Wildfire Season 2, an investigative podcast from REI, Bedrock Filmworks, and Podpeak about fire in the Amazon rainforest. This is Episode 1. It was three days before Christmas in the late 80s, and Chico Mendez was at home in Chaparri, Brazil, preparing to celebrate the holiday with his family. He had recently turned 44, but he was a young man at heart. Physically, he was short and unassuming, proudly wearing a charming potbelly, his smile hiding behind a bushy mustache. But he had a sparkle in his eye that teased just how sharp he truly was. His house was a modest bungalow in a lineup of modest bungalows. As rain pelted his tin roof, drowning out the noise of the jungle, which was typically a deafening cacophony at dusk, he was joined by his wife, two young children, and two bodyguards who had been assigned to protect Chico and his family. Because a hit had been put out on Chico Mendez, there was a price on his head. It could have been anywhere from a few hundred dollars to tens of thousands. But it had been anunciado, a Brazilian term meaning marked for death. Hired assassins, known as pistoleros, had already made five attempts on Chico's life. He was living on borrowed time. Family members and close friends asked him to leave the forest for a while until things cooled down. But Chico insisted on spending Christmas with his family, in spite of the risks. It was around 6 p.m., and Chico was playing dominoes with his bodyguards. He was fiercely competitive, even in such a trivial game. When his good friend Gomercindo Rodriguez, or Guma, as Chico called him, dropped by to check in. Everyone in town knew that Chico was in danger, so these kinds of visits were not uncommon. But if Chico shared any of Guma's fears, he didn't show it. Guma said in Portuguese, Chico was very fond of playing dominoes. Chico said to me, Guma, let's play here. I'm winning against these guys. They don't even know how to play it right, making a joke with the bodyguards. Chico was often smiling and jovial, especially then, surrounded by his family. But Guma wished that Chico would take the threats on his life a little more seriously, as he did. I said, no, Chico. I was very tense, very nervous, and distressed. He said, no, but to beat these guys here, you don't even have to know how to play it. Sit there. And I said, no, Chico. I felt like there was something about to happen, but I didn't know what. 
I said to him, Chico, I'm worried because I'm not seeing the gunslingers around town. Things had gotten so dangerous in the small town of Chaparri in the late 80s that Chico and Guma were used to seeing armed cowboys posted up on street corners and in the local bars, openly displaying their shotguns and automatic rifles with signature Brazilian bravado. It was such a common sight that their absence was unsettling, like the calm before a storm. It sounded like a cliché Western film with street signs creaking in the wind, shady glances under low-brimmed hats, the tension palpable. Guma knew something wasn't right, so he set out on his motorcycle to do a lap through town. And Chico said, okay, I'll take a shower in the meantime, but make sure to come back, because I'll wait for you to have dinner. All the places were empty. Nothing. No one. Everything was left to the flies. It only took Guma five or ten minutes to do a complete tour of Chaparri before he returned to Chico's house. Inside his motorcycle helmet, under the downpour of the rain, he couldn't hear much outside of his own breath. So I came back, and when I was arriving to his house, almost in front of it, his wife came out screaming. Guma, they shot Chico. This is Wildfire, a podcast series about fire in our world's natural spaces. And in this season, we're going to the Amazon rainforest, the last place you might think to find fire, to understand the phenomenon and find out what happened to Chico Mendez. You'll be hearing from the show's two co-hosts, Jim Aikman, that's me, I'm a filmmaker and writer based in Portland, Oregon, and Graham Zimmerman. That's me. I'm a professional mountain athlete, advocate, and producer based in Bend, Oregon. In season one, we investigated a fire outside of Portland in the Columbia River Gorge and the 15-year-old boy who started it with an ill-fated firework. And we learned that the area was actually long overdue for a burn cycle. We discovered that many of the wildfires in North America are perfectly natural, even playing an essential role in many ecosystems. But not long after season one, we started hearing about fires in a very different environment south of the equator the Amazon rainforest. This felt like something else entirely. Right now, the Amazon rainforest is being consumed by fire. In fact, there's an 80% increase in fires just over the last year alone. In 2019, thick black clouds of smoke had grown so large over the Amazon that they could be seen from the International Space Station. That year, Hidden under layers of smoke and ash, more than 100,000 fires had burned in the Amazon, a rate unheard of in the United States. Not only that, leaders from around the world were beginning to understand the integral part that a healthy Amazon plays in our planet's homeostasis 
trapping carbon, and releasing oxygen. And that it was approaching a tipping point where the forest that remained would not be enough to sustain its delicate balance. So what on earth was going on? I quickly stumbled upon the name Chico Mendes, a humble rubber tapper who went from living in one of the deepest corners of the Amazon all the way to being featured on the cover of the New York Times. He was a warrior for the forest that changed the course of history for the Amazon, for Brazil, and for the world. And yet, Chico Mendes was somebody that I had never heard of. But why? What else was I missing? Chico's forest was a very different place than ours here in the Pacific Northwest. First of all, it's simply massive, covering 40% of South America with 400 billion trees, two-thirds the size of the entire contiguous United States. The basin contains one-fifth of our entire planet's freshwater, 11 times the flow of the Mississippi, and helps sustain the global climate as the lungs of the Earth. In other words, we can't live without it. So why and how was it on fire? And what did that have to do with Chico Mendez? Throughout this six-episode podcast series, Jim and I will be visiting the Amazon rainforest to see the devastation for ourselves. We'll be investigating the incredible story of Chico Mendes, visiting the town where he lived in western Brazil. We'll then visit an indigenous community, the Surui, that have lived harmoniously in the forest for centuries. And finally, we'll look towards the future of the Amazon rainforest and how it can be saved today. Thanks for joining us for Season 2 of Wildfire. Back in Brazil in 1988, at the house of Chico Mendes, the scene quickly descended into chaos. Guma pulled off his motorcycle helmet to hear Chico's wife, who was screaming and pointing at the house. Guma called for Chico's bodyguards, but they were nowhere to be found, and it appeared that the shooter was long gone. Guma was moments too late to intervene in the shooting of his friend, who was lying bloody on the floor in his living room, struggling to breathe. He was going to take a shower, so he was shirtless, with the right side of his chest all shot with lead. Outside, Guma was calling for help. And then I looked back at the police. The police station was just 50 meters away. Half a block down the road from Chico's house was the Chaparri police station a small outpost of local cops who were conspicuously unresponsive. The cops were in front, and no one was moving. I looked and said, You sons of bitches, you're not going to do anything? The police just shrugged, not lifting a finger. Why weren't they coming to Chico's aid, or pursuing the shooter, or just calling an ambulance? As these questions raced through Guma's head, Chico's neighbors approached the house to see what had happened, though most of them already knew. What Chico, his friends, and family all feared most had come to pass. Assassination. Chico Mendes was many things throughout his life. But first and foremost, 
He was a rubber tapper and a man of the forest. Our goal in this show is to better understand his life and his influence. And to start that journey, we need to better understand the setting in which he lived, the Amazon rainforest. Jim and I packed up our microphones and traveled to the Brazilian Amazon at the start of the rainy season. We arrived in the city of Rio Branco, the capital of the state of Acre, that sits along the Bolivian border in western Brazil. It's an isolated outpost of humanity, deep in the Amazon basin. And Rio Branco is just three hours up the road from Chaparri, where our story in 1988 was unfolding. From the plain, the treetops spread as far as the eye could see. But as we approached town, sections of grassland appeared with unnatural squared off corners. And finally, as we landed, we could see the Acre River running through downtown Rio Branco. The Acre is a tributary of the greater Amazon River that drains the massive watershed containing the rainforest with the same name. The forests specific to the state of Acre are known as Vareas, dense, well-developed ecosystems with exceptional biodiversity. In one forest patch can be found as many as 500 species of plants. 10 miles away, another forest patch will present as many species again. The same is true with the insect species that cohabitate with over 1,800 species of birds. In Rio Branco, we rented a manual four-wheel drive truck to handle the rutted, muddy roads. And before heading to Chaparri, we stopped off at the study site of a man named Foster Brown. Foster is an American working with the Brazilians to develop strategies for controlling and preventing the destructive blazes that have become synonymous with these fires. Is this, is this your study site? It's called the Zoopotanical Park, but actually it's an area of regenerating forests that's on the, U- the Federal University of Acre's campus. Cool. He set down his work and took Jim and me for a walk in the forest. All right, so Foster and I are about to wander out into the uh, woods around his study site. The foliage was overwhelming, a majestic swirl of growth and decay, punctuated by insect sounds and bright splashes of color from flowers. Rainforest, I guess, I guess well, the... There are some trees from the original rainforest, which is the, this is a rubber tree. This is a rubber tree. And cool. as we walked, the natural space pulled me away from our questions about gunslingers and fire in the rainforest. What you're seeing here is a um, apuia ficus. <clears throat> tree that is growing around a palm tree. Uh-huh. And this has occurred in the last um, 30 years. To describe kind of what we're looking at, this is a tree that Foster and I are reaching, Foster and I are both full-size men, and we could not reach our arms even halfway around this together. This, is a big tree. this was a place in which life thrived. This place is pretty magical. It's just, there's so much abundance here. There's so much abundance that I don't even really know how to contextualize it. The wildlife, the noises, the amount of life surrounding us, you can really feel it. It's, you can feel everything breathing, the moisture, the thick air, all the incredible sounds. It really does kind of hold you. <laughs> I'm really happy we're here. Yes. I'm happy this is here. Yes. (laughs) I realized that I was getting lost in a perspective on this place 
that was rooted in admiration for the ecosystem, but had little to do with the humans that lived in the forest. Then I asked a question that had been haunting me. Something I feel like we don't really have a vision for and something that uh, I would love kind of a description of is the burning in this area. Can you just kind of walk us through what that looks like? We haven't actually been able to document any natural caused fires in this part of the Amazon. And this is deliberate deforestation. There are ranchers who go in and put in teams and cut down large quantities and can be uh, deforesting uh, levels at tens of hectares. I glanced at Jim to see if he was as shocked by this revelation as I was, that humans were intentionally igniting the fires burning in the Amazon. These fires were not like those near my home in the western United States, where fires are a natural part of the environment. Here in the Amazon, something entirely different was taking place. Uh, in some cases, we've had an example of over 100 or more um, hectares that were burned in a, at, a, at one time. That would be going into agricultural crops and more and more frequently, uh, pasture. Looking around the forest surrounding me, I was forced to pivot my view on the space. As a foreigner with a background in earth science, I saw ecological systems worth fighting to save. But to others, it was not just a place of ecological diversity. It was also an economic zone, geographic space that represented dollar signs to ranchers, developers, and farmers. All of this life and complex ecology was in the way of their success, and all they had to do was set it ablaze. I thought about Chico Mendes, the man whose story was central to our investigation of these fires. And these fires must have been what Mendes was fighting, a fight that left him shot and bleeding on the floor of his home in Chaparie. It was well after dusk, and the town of Chaparie was cloaked in darkness. Gomercindo was scrambling to make sense of the situation, consoling Chico's wife and scanning the night for any sign of the shooter. Everyone was in shock, no one more so than Chico, whose condition was worsening. Someone screamed, he's hurt, we need a car. I asked my friend who was putting Chico inside the truck, holding him in his arms. How's he doing? Chico was bleeding badly from his chest and torso, unable to speak and barely breathing. He was alive, but he was in agony. They took him to the hospital, and I went to my house, grabbed a gun, a revolver. I loaded the revolver and took two more bullet loads. I put it all in a bag and headed to the hospital. Gomercindo raced to the hospital, ready for a fight, even if it meant joining Chico in the hospital or worse. Because to me, he was my best friend.
Loading up the truck to leave Foster's, Graham and I were awed by our first experience in the rainforest, but also shaken. My reverence for the Amazon was under attack, and we'd only just arrived. What other surprises were waiting for us down this rabbit hole? And how had such an amazing place descended into the chaos that found Chico Mendez on the sharp end of a shotgun? To learn more, we spoke with a Brazilian activist and filmmaker who made a documentary about Chico and his family back in the 80s. So my name is Denise Smeco. I was born and raised in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, the biggest concrete jungle. <laughs> she told us about Brazil's modern conquest of the Amazon, seeing it as a great untapped resource and Brazil's best chance at becoming an exporting superpower. In the 60s, they have the idea that they had to bring progress and development to the north of Brazil. There are a lot of um, crises with small landowners in the south. There, there are not a, enough land for them, so they they start spending and open opening roads to the Amazon. So it was really destructive in many ways. Brazil actually looked to the U.S. as a model for conquering the wild terrain of the forest, beginning its own kind of manifest destiny. They built the first major highways straight up the middle of the Amazon, and the floodgates were opened. So that created a lot of chaos. Now, this is where things in the Amazon went berserk, the beginning of the modern era of destruction. New developers, ranchers, and homesteaders poured into the forest to stake their claims, and all they had to do was cultivate to claim ownership. So they burned the trees to the ground and turned cattle loose on the landscape. Then you go like, wow, what's going on here? <laughs> they are, you know, they're just destroying all this magic and they are creating a nightmare for people living there. They are destroying the forest to, you know, create pasture, you know. Everything started getting a little weird, you know. This period saw some of the largest fires in the world at the time, undoing millions of years of delicate evolution and upsetting the equilibrium of the entire rainforest, all in the name of progress. But it wasn't just the natural world that was under attack. The ranchers discovered that the promised land was already occupied by indigenous tribes and rural workers like Chico Mendez, whose families had lived off the land deep in the forest for generations. So they started pushing everyone out of the forest, using misinformation, violence, and more fire. Burning down houses, rubber tapper houses in the middle of the forest, you know, they're just taking over the land without permission without any rights, you know, just taking over. Wherever the fires went, violence and corruption followed. This was not a Planet Earth episode. It was Tombstone. The Amazon is described as the Wild West. There's bandits and pistoleras running around wreaking havoc. And, and then these fires are burning everywhere. It just sounds like chaos. Could you describe that sort of wild west environment? Yeah, it's lawless. It's totally lawless. The battle for the Amazon had begun, pitting the rural poor against the well-funded developers in a war of attrition that continues to this day. We were only a few hours into our expedition, and my precious dream of the Amazon had been replaced with a cruel, fiery dystopia, a paradise for drifters, criminals, and good old-fashioned greed. That was the world we were entering as we ventured further into the rainforest. The world of Chico Mendez. 
And I think I was really sad to see how Chico Mendes was living his last few months of life. And I told him, you know, maybe you should move to Sao Paulo, to Rio. If we can find a place for you to live, we, you can bring your family and stay away for a few months until things settle down a little bit because you can die. You shouldn't die. You, you know, you are a leader, you're a special person, you're so important to these people. I think you should really be careful and, and get away from the Amazon for a while. And he was like, no, 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 that's, this is my struggle. I want to be here. You know, I want to I wanna stay here. And I said, yeah, but you're a leader. You know, it's very important that you, you are, we are here all the time with, with everybody, with us, you know. And he said, no, no. So he stayed and two weeks later he was killed. Chico was the fifth labor union leader to be assassinated in 1988, and another was killed a week later. Most of these killers escaped prosecution, and in most cases, there wasn't even an investigation. Rumors spread about Chico's murder involving a family dispute gone wrong, and defense lawyers claimed that the CIA or even fellow environmentalists were to blame. But everyone in Chaparri knew who had pulled the trigger. The powerful Alves crime family had been threatening Chico for months. It was public knowledge that they wanted him dead. But the killers had quickly escaped into the Amazon, protected by the impenetrable forest and their corrupt friends in the police and courts. And violence continues. Every year they die. This year they've died. Like other leaders who've been murdered over the years, exactly for defending the same thing as Chico. The right of the people of the forest to live in the forest without destroying it. It might have been easy to consider Chico's death just one more murder in the jungle. But was it actually something bigger than that? Was Chico bigger than that? And would his family ever see justice? The forest in which Chico Mendes lived and died was certainly a place of ecological wonder, but also violence, destruction, and conspiracy. As Jim and I drove further into the forest, towards Chaparri, we shared concerns about the potentially volatile nature of the journey ahead. We also shared our commitment to understand why people have been burning one of the planet's most important natural spaces and to investigate the people that decided Chico and those like him needed to die, some of whom were still hanging around Chaparri. The podcast Wildfire Season 2 is a production of REI Co-op Studios, Bedrock Filmworks, and Podpeak. The show is written and produced by Jim Aikman and myself, Graham Zimmerman, with additional production support from Chelsea Davis at REI. Editing, sound design, and theme music are by Evan Phillips. <laughs>